Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Being a parent can be really challenging. Child and Family Resource Network focuses on connecting pregnant parents and those with kids under the age of five with free support services to help them on their parenting journey. Everyone deserves someone they can turn to for help with parenting. Visit ChildAndFamilyResourceNetwork.org today. Being a parent can be really challenging. It's normal to feel uncertain about whether you're doing the right things to raise healthy and happy children. That's why Child and Family Resource Network focuses on connecting pregnant parents and those with kids under the age of five with free support services to help them build confidence in their parenting journey. Everyone deserves to have someone they can turn to for support with parenting. Visit ChildAndFamilyResourceNetwork.org today. Okay, guys, we are live. We are on the team house right now. This is episode, geez, I think this might be episode 56. I apologize for never being able to keep count. Uh, but tonight's episode, uh, I am Jack Murphy here with our guest tonight, Ken Miller. Uh, Ken served in the LERPs in Vietnam. The LERPs are their long range reconnaissance uh, patrols which they went through several different incarnations of it, uh, eventually reorganized as ranger companies. And we'll, we'll talk about this with Ken uh, for sure. He was uh, in the 101st LERPs and Rangers, uh, did three extensions in Vietnam, served all the way from private to recon team leader. Uh, he's a Recondo school graduate. Uh, and then after the war, he went over to tai uh, Taiwan and uh, pursued his education learned Mandarin, which he speaks fluently. Um, he, he's definitely, um, Ken, what was your, your PhD on? I don't ha have the PhD. I made a point of stopping at every space where I'm about to get something like that because I came from a family, everybody in my family, my parents, my sister, my first cousins and their parents all had Boku, uh, uh, they're all academics. Oh, they were all academics. So, you know, I, my father was the president of the University of Nevada when I was in high school. And I was determined to go into the military. And my parents were not pleased, but they, they let me make my own decision. But every day, the last half of my senior year in high school, every day I was called down to the counselors and saying, you won't get you won't get drafted. Your father's the president of the university. And I, said, and I, said, I already have, have uh, enlisted. You know, I'm just waiting for the time to come. Uh, it really annoyed me. And that the idea that because of what my father was doing, I'm above this. This was the whole draft thing in the Vietnam War was 
not very, not very fair. And I was really offended at them saying that, oh, we'll get you this so you don't have to. And I already decided that I wanted to, I, I wanted to go into, to be in a paratrooper, partly because I was young and wanted it, you know, wanted adventure and all of this sort of stuff. But also, as strange as it might sound, because I was raised up, raised up not in Reno, but in Ann Arbor, Michigan, as a liberal. And to me, a, a good liberal is not going to let just the, the kids who aren't, aren't rich do all the wars. And I think, wait a minute, you know, people in Vietnam are having communism forced on them. It's a good liberal. You got to go fight that. And uh, <laughs> you know, I was young and idealistic. <laughs> so but, that's uh, how I, you know. I when it comes to when it comes to getting, I've gone to seriously gone to three universities, three good ones, and uh, I always stop at a certain point. I don't want a PhD because there's so many of them around in my family, and it, I wanted to be the, the, uh, you know, the black sheep. Is that why you went to Taiwan after the war rather than pursuing uh, a normal yeah, education? I, well, I was fascinated from the day that uh, the plane that I was on landed at Tonsonet Airport, and we got on a bus to go to Benoit to the repo depot, I was fascinated with East Asia. And Taiwan didn't have a war going on at the time. Well, it did, obviously, and still does, but it wasn't like Vietnam. I wanted to really learn about East Asia. And I, you know, my wife has told, uh, Vietnam, my wife is uh, Taiwanese Chinese and she, I remember her telling a Vietnamese friend of hers, oh, you know, Vietnam was, was Ken's first love. And then her friend says, oh, where does she live now? <laughs> oh, it's just, I, I, I've, I got fascinated by that part of the world and I still am. And uh, I was quite recently very happy I was really depressed at what the, the pandemic is doing to America and our response to it has not been good. But I, I was very glad to know that Taiwan and Vietnam really had their, really had their shit in order when it came to that. Because- Do you, th do you think that's part of um, coming from an, a an Asian culture as opposed to a Western culture, which is more oh, yes. individualistic? Uh, the first thing, the first thing is, people in East Asia have, is a tradition. I mean, if you have a little cold, you put on a mask. Yeah, this is this is very common. It's nothing unusual. The other thing is, the Confucian, the Confucian culture. You, it's not just I want mine. You know, no, it's we belong to a culture. We belong to a to a family, to a to a neighborhood, to a to a country. And I think this has made it easier for East Asia to, to you know, you don't see uh, bikers 
in Japan or, or South Korea and Taiwan, and they all have them, but you don't see them going and going on on a big rally and not wearing there's some drinking. Ah, this is just you know, no, it's it's a different culture. It, the attitudes like that. I th think it worked for them and was bad for us. So let's uh, let's take it uh, back to the the beginning, uh, Ken. I, I want to hear about your arrival in Vietnam. You mentioned it briefly in your initial fascination with East Asia. Um, tell us what year was that that you arrived in Vietnam? What was that experience like? Sixty-seven. It, it was uh, late spring in '67, and uh, you know I was uh, right out of right out of jump school, and uh, so proud to be a, a paratrooper, and I just really wanted to get into it. And uh, the plane, you know, we landed in the Philippines. And for about two hours and then back then on to Vietnam. And I got there and I, they put us on a bus and I'm looking out the window. So the bus had these mesh on them so nobody could throw a, a grenade in the window on us. And I'm just watching it and I just, hey, this is cool. I like this place, man, this is fascinating. And that's where I still am sort of. <laughs> and you know from there you go to the the replacement depot and you know I was terrified the thought that they would put me in a leg unit you know I just no 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 but but they didn't I went to the 101st and mm -hmm. my first unit was in uh, a a troop second of the 17th calf which was th theoretically and officially the recon unit for the whole first brigade which was all there was for the 101st in in vietnam at that time the other two brigades were still at fort campbell and uh basically it was a a road recon sort of thing it was a you know but uh we did a lot of work with the lerp uh platoon which was completely not a, an official unit but we worked with them and you got to know these guys. And so I just kind of moved on over there. And what, what do you mean they were not an official unit? Like who, who were well, these guys? No, the, it was a prov provisional unit, the, the, mm -hmm. the LERP unit. It was a, it was part of, uh, of the brigade's uh, headquarters, headquarters company. But it, you know, it was a provisional unit. Mm -hmm. And, uh, so, but I went there and then when the other two uh, brigades came back or came to Vietnam from, from Fort Campbell, they had a company already, a LERP company that had been organized and so forth. So we, okay. we joined that. You know, and I couldn't imagine wanting to do anything else. The only, you know, the only thing else I would have wanted to do was if I had been, a, if I could have done it without having to leave Vietnam, I would love love to have been on an A team just so I could be around mountain yards. Mm -hmm. I wanted to see what that was all about. But uh, you know, I'd have I would have had to go back to Fort Bragg and go you know through all 
mm-hmm. a whole bunch of stuff. And then I'd probably get back and they say, oh, you were a LERP with 100 first. Okay, here, you're going to be over in a Project Delta or something. Project, yeah, yeah. So, you know, I was glad to stay where I was. Eventually, uh, they stopped letting us, if you had too many, uh, if, if you extended, voluntarily extended, finally they said, nope, you can't extend anymore. No more ex- extensions. And so I'm leaving, I, I remember being on the bus leaving Benoit to go back to Tansanude Air, Air and just, I don't want to leave. I don't want to leave here. I want to stay here. You and, uh, and who was it? Pat Tadina, who was over there for like five years? Yeah, he was there much longer than me. <laughs> uh, Pat Tadina was uh, you know, just amazing. He was in the, he was in the 173rd Lerps, but I, I knew him, but not real well. Right, right. But, uh, he, he passed he, away recently. I know. Uh, unfortunately. And he was, he was beyond, he was beyond, uh, beyond whatever the, the, the <laughs> he was beyond it. You know, I mean, he was, so, so uh, Ken, for the, you know, th- there are young people listening to this who like barely even know what the Vietnam War is. Like, can you uh, uh, explain, articulate for people out there, what is a LERP? What is a LERP company? Like what, is, LERP, what in the world are we talking LERP about? Stands for, LERP is, stands for Long Range Reconnaissance Patrol. And then later they took out the reconnaissance thing and made long range patrol. So they could give us other things other than just reconnaissance, which they had already were doing. We were doing raids and all sorts of other things beforehand. It was just on paper, a change. Uh, and we knew we were alert. We knew that we were rangers because there were no, you know, there was a ranger school, but there are no ranger units. Yep. In the, in the army, we knew that we were the Rangers. And we weren't surprised when they officially made it that in on a, the 1st of February, 1969, uh, which is a birthday for, in my opinion, for the whole uh, 75th Ranger Regiment, but Fort Benning does not pay any attention to that. Uh, you know, we don't count. That one doesn't count. But it, we were, you know, I uh, recently did a book review of this book. And it's a... Hold that up for us, please. Yeah. Uh, War, War on, the on the Run. The epic story of Robert Rain, of Robert Rangers. Of Robert... Rogers. Rangers and the conquest of America's first frontier. This is a hard book to read because it it goes into great detail, great detail, but it's fascinating because this is a, before the United States was a, and it was a brutal life and a even more brutal war. And uh, that's sort of what uh, American Rangers were up until the 1970s. They were a provisional unit. It was that you got recruited, uh, recruited volunteers in, con- 
in the theater and uh, they were always troublemakers when they were back, when they weren't out. And, and this I'm, is, I'm, this is, I'm gonna, I'm gonna share a picture here of a, a young troublemaker, Ken. Oh, that's a, I, I don't know who that guy is. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, you know, I, I remember coming back, getting off that and uh, off that helicopter. And the first sergeant said, you know what you need, don't you? And I said, yep, yep, you know, I know what I need. And the next day I got a haircut. <laughs> but, uh, you know, we were different. We were very different from what the, from what the Rangers are now. Mm -hmm. You know, we were kind of uh, scofflaws, scofflaws scoff lies i'm getting senile so i don't remember words very well but you know we were always kind of troublemakers and you know drinking and, and having having a good time when we weren't out in the field and uh we knew that you know our our units could be just taken out anytime mm -hmm. they could just and any of us any of our teams could discipline one thing about recon is you may not get a chance to say goodbye to the world when you have only six people and you're not, you don't have a, what, do you, what do you call it the, now? Social distance. You didn't, have, you didn't have that in a small recon team. You had to be able to touch every, the guy around can, you. Can you talk about that? Like what the, 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 the mission of a LERP team and what you guys actually did out there in the jungles? Mm -hmm. Our main thing was to go out and we would get, uh, they would show us a map and then they would have intelligence come in and tell us this is what we think is here on this place and that place. And then the team leader and the assistant team leader, and sometimes the whole team would go out and fly over the area the, the day before just to see and looking for uh, LZs for landing zones and uh, looking for uh looking for, i know the words but they're not coming to me. uh like lz's and uh lz's and, and where the river is and where this little uh hill is and where there's something and we would come back and then we'd have about a day with the whole team to just go over the go over the map go over the map go over the map and uh do our uh, our drills you know over you know, what happens if you get hit from here, you hit from there. And then we would go out and often we would be waiting by the helicopter bed and then they couldn't get in. Helicopters said, still, if the, if the smog, if the fog was so bad and if it was raining, they couldn't get us in and they wouldn't be able to get us out. And so we would be sitting there and just, damn. And then, you know, we're ready to go and then, they cancel it. That would happen about a third of the time, it seemed like. It depended on where you are in Vietnam, but when you're up in, in I-Corps and you're going west toward Laos, that's pretty pretty common. What, which firebase was this you were working at? Well, we were at Fort, we were at Camp Lee, Camp Eagle, which was the 101st and, okay. and a bunch of other groups. But the thing about Camp Eagle was we were the first people on it. Right after the Tet 
things starts to st starts to smooth out a little bit around Saigon and and Benoit in that area and other places. Uh, we get a we get a three teams, three six man teams. So, okay, you guys go get all of your stuff, get ready, and we're going to take you down to the down to the airstrip at Benoit. Uh, you have you have be ready in an hour. And what's going on? What what's happening? They didn't tell us. We had one lieutenant, and then the rest were just three recon teams. And we get on the on the helicopter or on the helicopter on the plane, and we fly, and we don't know where we're going. And we land, and it's raining out. And the 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 uh, again, I'm forgetting the term. The, the ramp. The ramp goes down, and we get out in the rain, and we don't know where we are. And there's, and then we can hear over the rain. We could hear screams. And moans and people, that kind of horrible shit that you don't like to hear, but you hear sometimes. And we go over, and we don't know what's going on. And we go toward the where the the side of the the airport is, and there's a little navy uh, a, a navy clinic there, and there's guys out in the out in the rain and just so many people, mainly Marines because the Battle of Way was going on. And this is where they're city. taking them to get in there. This, that's the, play, the plane that we went up was full of people on, on stretchers. And so we go to the, to the, na the Naval Clinic, you know, and uh, our, Medics. Each team would have a medic. How well trained they were could be go from being a an SF medic to being somebody that just had it in the in in the unit training. But they go over and the, the Navy doctor said, "Get the hell out of here. You, we appreciate it, but we're, we're this is a uh, we we don't have any pla place for any more people." And then up comes a uh, deuce and a half truck and there's a a mong nong or somebody some 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 indigenous guy and a guy with a green beret driving it you guys are 101st lerps yeah well, get in and they took off and they put took us to a, a a cemetery you know the vietnamese and chinese cemeteries with the kind of round thing and then the body mm. that looks like an egg and they dropped us off there and gave us some, some combo information. And what are we doing? And we can hear and see a, a lot that's going on across the river in, in Way. We were about two miles away, I guess. And we were a, a trip, a, a, a trip, uh, if, you know, if they, if the North Vietnamese come south, we're supposed to, be able to let FOB1 and a bunch of other people notify them that the enemy's coming south. To so they, they put you out there as an LPOP, just as like an early warning. Yep. yep. And we did the best we could to make ourselves feel somewhat good in the, in the, in the graves. And uh, wow, nobody else was there. It just, 
the 19 of us. And then the battle seemed to go down and go down a little bit. And uh, day by day, more and more people came. Usually from our, originally it was just guys from our unit. But we were, by the time we left, uh, two years later or something, two and a half years later, uh, Camp Eagle was a huge military city. But we were the first people there. And I just, and the, the Battle of Way was going on right there and we wanted to be in it. And we were at the same time kind of glad that we weren't because I mean, when, as soon as we got off the plane, we saw and heard right, right. how bad it was. And, and you guys were, I mean, a six man work team or even th throwing you guys together as, as a 19 man work platoon and just sending you out there as infantry is also kind of the wrong answer. Like that's really not the right way to use you guys. We were used in various ways. At one point we were uh, palace guard for the general. And, oh yeah, of course. I mean, you know, that, that that kind of thing, you know. You, you, oh, we have this elite unit. We can do whatever we want with with them, and they don't really matter. So, Ken, six six guys on a warp uh, warp team. What are the duty positions on the on the patrol? You got team leader, assistant team leader. Okay, you have a well. The first guy is, you know, you have one. He's these are these are the, the the words that I know that are in my head, and they're so far back into. You have a point man, then you have a slack mm -hmm. man, and everybody has their area that they're that they're of that's their they cover they're covering. So you have three sixty as you're moving, and you're moving this way, you're moving that way. If you're the if you're the point man, you're dealing with what's in front of you higher and what's low. And then the slack man behind you is watching to, for you. And then the guy behind him has got a, an arc of, of, that he's watching. And then over here they do. And it, the last guy would be every other, maybe every other step or so, if, if possible, sometimes, you know, you, you can't always do it exactly the way you should, but you know, we'll be turning around to check behind you. And then if you're leaving a trail, try to get rid of it. And your job was to go to check out certain places that intelligence wanted you to check out. Or if you see something that's interesting, you do, but all the time you're, you're on the, somebody's on the radio. And usually you would take your your booty hat down around here and, and whispering, yeah, and whispering it and so forth. And uh, going in, the scariest thing always was when you're coming in. Most of the time, uh, we the helicopter would go like this, up and down, up and down, up and down, so the the enemy would not know where you're going in. And uh, consequently, you didn't come down and stop and get out of the helicopter. We'd have to go out of it while it's still moving in the air. <laughs> and the consequence of this is uh, 
every guy I know who did recon in Vietnam, with the exception of John Singleton Meyer, who I think Tilt is his nickname. You, you, you know. Yeah, I know, I know John quite well. Yeah. Yeah. I think Tilt's lied because he said, he, no, I don't have any of those problems, but everybody else does because <laughs> of the way we'd have to jump in of moving helicopters. We could have sometimes as much as 100 pounds on our backs. And bang, uh, uneven ground, you know, it's just. Uh, but we thought, okay, well, God, this hurts. What you do is you just walk it out. And that's fine at the time, but it catches up with you many years later. As you're, you're talking, you, you, were you wearing your rucksack or did the rucksacks go out first and then no, you chase no, no. them out? No, 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 you'd be wearing your rucksacks. Oh my what? God, and you're fall, you, you must have fell, fallen All at least six feet, six feet down through the elephant grass or oh, whatever. Oh yeah, oh yeah, and sometimes more than that. And you know, every now and then somebody on a team would have their, their, uh, their ankles shattered. Yeah, you got to pull them right back out. Yeah, and it was one of the worst uh, things that happened to the company when I was there. That's they that happened. The guy got uh, taken out, medevaced out, and then the survivors from the team after this happened. This is this is in uh, a lot of the books from our company. This is what happened in November twentieth, nineteen sixty eight. Gary the, Linder, the the six silent men series. Yeah. Gary Linder was <clears throat> uh, badly hurt there, but uh, everybody was. It, it, that's the action where Gary was awarded the Silver Star. Yeah, and uh, I had switched to go on another team. I was on was on that. It was a, a heavy team. They had two teams together, and I uh, wanted to go with the other team. Because they had a more, seemed like they would have a more interesting uh, uh, mission. We were supposed to do a raid on a on a commo site, a North Vietnamese commons commo site, and so I traded with I traded with another guy, and he got killed on wow. that one. And we we got to the commo site, but there was there were some wires still hanging down, but there was nobody there or anything. And then we had to just go to ground while these guys are fighting for their lives. And I'm, I'm, you know, uh, and, and we wanted to go, we wanted to go, but we were, you know, like five clicks away. And this was, this place was just full of, of North Vietnamese. So we wouldn't have got very, very far. Um, what, 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 how did this mission kick off? What was the whole process that, that, started this whole because i'm trying to remember gary winderer's book is this the one where they ambushed some vietnamese nurses yes yes okay yes could you tell us a little bit about that mission and how how that all unfolded yeah because i was on i had gone to the other team for that mission but i so i'm listening to it i was an rto there so i'm listening to everything that's going on and i could hear it fairly well on the radio what happened was they came in and while they're going in, one of the guys shattered his, shattered his uh, ankles. Mm -hmm. So in the morning, two of the guys took him back to that, back to an LZ to get him out. And then they came back and they got, you know, 
the whole team got the whole heady team team got together and uh you know they they assumed that and probably rightly that the local nva figured that the team had left mm-hmm. and all it was was just one guy left and then they set up on a on a trail and i i think you know, it really bothered Gary Linder for life, and probably still does, because his wife was a is a doc is a nurse, and nobody wanted to kill a nurse. But there, I, as I remember, there wasn't just the the nurses; there were some other officers with them too. And, and they they were a uniformed NVA. They yes. they were not yes, civilians were. per se. No, they were not civilians, and they didn't know right off that it's that's what it. Because of the height of the the grass, they couldn't see them. Well, yeah, and they they're in uniform and they're just walking past, and they set up a, a hasty uh, uh, ambush. And then, uh, I don't like to say this, but the guy who was team leader for that team shouldn't have been, and he was the only guy that I knew the whole time. I the only enlisted guy I knew in the time I was in Vietnam, who would sit there and think about, I want to get this medal. I want to get a DSC and I want to get the medal. Yeah. And so he says, well, you know, gosh, we just pulled this, this ambush. And so what you do when the pull, you get everything you can off the bodies. And if you have a prisoner, you get them. And then you get the hell out of yeah. there. You're, you're only six guys. You can't stay for a big yeah. fight. Well, th- this was a heavy team, so it would be 12. Okay. 12 still. Only 11 because <laughs> one, one guy had already... Yeah, had still his... 11 guys, not much. But, yeah, but, you know, oh, no, I'm I'm the team leader. He was young and ambitious, far too ambitious. And uh, he said, well, we're going to stay here and ambush our own ambush. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Because that's, they'll never expect us to do that. And they didn't expect him to do that, but they ended up uh, ambushing the ambushes. And a big fight went on for a long time. And uh, one guy, Riley Cox, got his his intestines out in his stomach uh, out of his stomach and stuffed them in with his sweat uh, towel and stayed there and fight it. I could hear him on the radio. He had uh, a car 15 and a and a shotgun. I could hear the shotgun go and everybody was wounded and three guys were killed right off and it took a long time and then to get in, uh, to get a reaction force in, they got everybody that was in the company that was back in the rear and they just grabbed stuff. And one guy, Tony Tresero, who just recently died of COVID-19, 
Tony Tercero was going home the next day. He'd already turned in his weapon and everything. And he's in uh, army skivvies, uh, uh, you know, tight uh, shower shoes, yeah. flip flops. <laughs> and he grabbed a, un, a, a rifle that had never been fired, grabbed that and he's putting, putting rounds into the, into the magazines on, and he just took over. Gets on the helicopter and tells the the the, the uh, crew, "We're you're taking the two helicopters." And they were guys that we knew that carried us in and out all the time. And I said, "Oh, we're going in," and they went in, and you know, Tony's not prepared and not dressed for that even, and he's the first guy off, so he just takes over, takes over, wow, takes command, and all he ever got for that was a. Brown Star with V, and he should have got a DSC. Uh, but Riley Cox got a Silver Star and should have got a DSC or an or a Medal of Honor. He had his guts in his lap and kept fighting. And then finally, when the reaction force came in, he got really angry. Get the fuck away from me! I'm staying here till everybody's ready. You know. He didn't want to be taken out, taken out until everybody else was gone. And I'm glad that I wasn't there. And I think less of myself because I wasn't. Does that I, you know, really... I, I just want, I switched, the guy that I switched with was got killed. And he got killed in my place. And I had a you know, there's a lot of things that if you're in a war, you carry some guilt for stuff. And it really bothered me when I, after I, after the war, when I come back and then it, all these people would, oh, well, you, you must really have some great uh, guilt problems, don't you? Fuck you. You know, I mean, guilt times, yeah, because of things. I could have done and didn't do, or I wasn't fast enough, or I wasn't thinking enough, or, or something. But they're thinking that we're over there just massacring down children, people, yeah. and uh, oh, there's some children. Let's shoot them or something. I mean, I, I didn't want to hear that. We all carry a weight of guilt for things that we shouldn't. But just kind of, if I'd done that a little bit better so-and-so would have lived, you know? But is that, that really hard, Ken, to, um, uh, to be the RTO and you have to listen on the radio, your yeah, friends yeah. being shot up and killed and like you're, you're doing your job and you are helping, but as a soldier, it's like you feel like you belong there, like you should be there we shoulder did. to shoulder and with we, them. We definitely, all of us, we had a lieutenant with us on, on, on the team I was with on that, the, the one that were, Right. The camo uh, site. Yeah. And uh that's one of the reasons I wanted to go there. I thought there'd be a more interesting uh mission. And uh I, I wanted to see the lieutenant out, out in the field, <laughs> you know, because most of the time he's in the helicopter put in the in and out. And, and all of us wanted to just head for right where they were. And if 
we could sort of hear the, fi the firing a little bit, even without the radio, depending on the, on the wind or something. But, you know, we would have never gotten very far. Right. And the last thing that, that, that they needed was another team pinned down. So we just, for the next couple of days, we just I, go to ground. Being a parent can be really challenging. Child and Family Resource Network focuses on connecting pregnant parents and those with kids under the age of five with free support services to help them on their parenting journey. Everyone deserves someone they can turn to for help with parenting. Visit childandfamilyresourcenetwork.org today. Being a parent can be really challenging. It's normal to feel uncertain about whether you're doing the right things to raise healthy and happy children. That's why Child and Family Resource Network focuses on connecting pregnant parents and those with kids under the age of five with free support services to help them build confidence in their parenting journey. Everyone deserves to have someone they can turn to for support with parenting. Visit childandfamilyresourcenetwork.org today. Kent, so much of what you're talking about here and you're describing, and I, I just have to point it out, is that you describe it so beautifully in, in your novel here that uh, I, I read this a yeah. few months ago, Tiger the Werp Dog, and so many of these experiences that you're talking about are, are yeah. fictionalized in this book, but I mean, they're, they're, you describe it in, in this novel with so much eloquence, um, and I, I feel that you really describe the mission that Werps do, and um, the challenges and the environment and, and all of it is in there. And I, I mean, there's more we can we can talk about, I'm sure we will, but I, I really think that people who are trying to get a better understanding of the work mission and what you experienced, I think that novel is a great place to go. They can, I probably used bookstores or Amazon might have it. Amazon has it. It's on, it's on Amazon, yeah. It's on Amazon, yeah. Uh, one of the things is I used the name for one of the guys on my, the last team that I, when I was a team leader, or I used Marvel McCann's uh, first name for one of the characters, Marvel Kim in the book. Yeah, and, the Korean American. Yeah, and I, I had a feeling uh, in the years since that he's got two other reasons to things that I could have done better in a, on our last mission, you know, that I feel guilty toward him about, but I, but from what I've heard, he said, he's just pissed off that he used his name. <laughs> but, you know, none of us have seen him. He's one of the guys that hasn't come to a reunion or anything, but, uh, some guys he are was, like that. They just want to put the war behind them and totally forget about it. Yeah. And he was, he was from California, but he was originally from Guam. And Guam had, of all the parts of the United States, Guam had the most people uh, percentage-wise killed in the Vietnam War. Wow. And the city that had the most uh, is uh, East L.A., Yeah, uh, I I just one thing about the the about the army that I felt more at home there than I 
generally do anywhere else is that you had everybody, you had every kind, every, we didn't have any Australian Aborigines in, that I knew in the US Army, everything else. But I did run into an Australian Aborigine with the, the uh, Aussie SAS had one there. I ran into him later and back in the rear. But, you know, I like that. That's how it should be. Everybody should be, you know, working together. And a lot of that's been lost, I think. And a Is lot that, of it. That kind of nostalgia that you have for the Vietnam War, which is as terrible as it was, there are a lot of things you look back on fondly, right? Oh, a lot, a lot. I was more alive then than, than I have been since. And I had a sense of that I was doing something. And, you know, if you're a, a LERP and you're a good one, you've been doing it for a while, once you go into a, to once you insert into it, the first thing you do is you get away from, from where the helicopter was, and then you find a place and you lay down, you lay dog, just quiet, very quiet. And you're sitting there and you're listening and you're feeling the wind and you know which way the wind's blowing. You're listening to every sound. And if a cicada makes a sound you're aware of it everything all of your senses are so amazingly aligned i've never been able to get that anywhere else uh, and you know but i can i can still do better than most people probably i'm <laughs> i think just concentrating and using your sense organs and knowing what this might mean and what that might mean. You sit there for a long time, for a while, you, you let the helicopter leave, you know, into, into, your, into your boonie hat, and then you move on. And then uh, one thing that, that I don't know how common this is, but we would go into areas where the enemy had been and where they had a camp and they'd moved. And often these were camps that were there and for each, for new, new troops coming in, they would be there before they set off to do something else. So you don't know when they might be coming back, but quite often we'd be into these, these places. And uh, there'd be leeches everywhere. You know, there is anywhere. I would sit, I would look there and say, man, because they want to be down by water. And, you know, and I would think, what are the other guys? What do they do for, they don't have the kind of the leech, the, the, the mosquito and leech repellent that we do. What, what do they do for that? You would end up having certain kinds of feelings of brothership with the guys on the other side. And, uh, I've had conversations only twice, both in America, once with a local Viet Cong and one with a, a guy who was uh, a Chinese, um, uh, uh, Sino-Chinese, Sino-Viet 
guy who got kicked out when China invaded uh, Vietnam after the war. You know, he was at, he worked in the rest, rest, uh, Chinese restaurant where my wife was working. And, you know, I really, you know, they all, all these guys, and apparently they say, hey, we liked you guys, man. But it was a war. We had to try to kill you. you know? said, <laughs> and what really gets me is the, the newest thing from the Sentinel, the SFA magazine, is basically these three books, a review of three books. One is by Aaron Banks. I think all SF guys know who Aaron Banks is. But he was in Hanoi uh, right after, after the war ended. Here's another OSS guy that was there. And then here's the big one. You can see how many. Uh, Wait, if you can hold it up a little bit, Ken, we can't okay. really. Oh, there you go. This Why one Vietnam? has got everything you could possibly know. This is very into it. But you read this and you'll see that they have pictures of, of OSS guys. No, that's SF guys sitting there training the Viet Minh. And here's General Jop right there and then Hose right there. And I did these three books together for the Sentinel and rereading it and knowing the things that over the years that I've studied and learned, it's a heartbreaker. It's a heartbreaker. And it's not something that it's easy to say around other vet, Vietnam veterans that, hey, these, the guys we were fighting, they're our friends now. Uh, first, I, I, I won't say which group, but you could, but one of the groups has got pretty good relations with, with the Vietnamese special forces now. Uh, and uh, Vietnam is one of America's favorite are our best friends right now. The people we fought are our buddies, became our buddies very quickly. And the ones that I've talked to said, we're always on your side. And both sides of the Vietnam War figured the United States was their natural ally and friend. That's heartbreaking. <laughs> yeah, it is. Yeah, because they had already, you know, they they had more bigger concerns with next door neighbors, right? And always, yeah. And they they had, uh, I mean, maybe you can speak to it a little bit, Ken. But I mean, the the Vietnamese had defended themselves from the Japanese, and then the well, French, and then we show up. Well, it goes much much further back. Look, Vietnam is right here, and right here is China. Vietnam and China, uh, at least maybe not Manchuria that far off to the north, to the northeast, but most of China and Vietnam, you go back, they're the same people. Mm -hmm. You got to go back about 2000 years or more. And there's so much in common that what is not in common is important to both to both countries. Uh, and China has been trying to take over Vietnam 
forever. Right. Because they say, what's wrong with you guys? Man, you know, look at, you should be part of two, two of our provinces. This is the basic, I had Vietnamese friends in Taiwan who were other foreign students, the Vietnamese. And I said, man, all these guys keep saying that we should be, that we should be Chinese. And, you know, the, the Americans and the, and the Koreans would sort of sit there and say, well, yeah, I see that point of view. And I also see your point of view. Uh, you know, they're either very close or they're in each other's head. They're, you know, traditionally for 2000 years, very close are at war with each other. And China is the big thing that they worry about, but China also is, it's also sort of home too, Vietnam and China. I mean, you read, I'm reading a biography of Ho Chi Minh right now. And all of these guys are all could speak, could speak Mandarin and so forth. And they, you know, you can't really separate the two except by having them at war with each other. So Vietnam's always worried about China, but the French were there and they wanted them out of there for a long time. And the US policy was to get the French out of there. But that was Roosevelt and Roosevelt died. And Truman did not know what was coming up, what was going on. The British and the French were already trying to set for the French military to come back and take Vietnam over right after World War II. And the Japanese were there, but they were ready to get, go back to Japan. We completely lost, you know, you know good luck to everybody. And, and uh, you know, if, I feel like if we had given the Viet Minh uh, a chance and they were begging the OSS and America in general, we want somebody that'll stand with us as to, so the Chinese will say, okay, you got a big brother here, get rid of the French said, and you know, the, ex, to, the ex, uh, Ho Chi Minh was a communist, no question. Uh, there's reasons that somebody that was born at the end of the of the 19th century could become a communist you know mm -hmm. if you're seeing how bad things could be right 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 if you look he at like, a the communist, history yeah but the, he and the people around them were very initially very very willing to have all sorts of vietnamese involved in this let's get a independent country and unify it. And the French came back and who brought the French back within like a month or two after Ho Chi Minh was elected president for the whole damn thing? US Navy, Liberty ships brought the, brought the French military. And, and we supported them at uh, Bien Dan Phu, right? Through, all the way through. And, you know, One of the things in that, that Ken Burns thing about the Vietnam War, I like most Vietnam veterans, I did not like it. Yeah, Tilt thought it was shit, didn't oh, he? Oh, I, I thought it was. <laughs> well, for one thing, they don't even mention mountain yards for, for or SF or anything. And it's obviously they're on the side of the North, not the South. 
and uh, both sides had a reason for what they were doing, but that's beside the point. But the whole thing, but the first two episodes that give you the background leading up to this was good. And in there, they make the point that everything I've read in all of the books like this and so forth, the people who were there at the time, uh, Ho Chi Minh kept saying, listen, we understand. He said, I lived in the United States for a while. I've lived in, in England. I've lived in France. I've lived in the Soviet Union. I know the, I've seen the bad side of communism in the Soviet Union and I know what's coming off and I know that you're terrified of communism, but don't let that be the main thing you're looking at. That's not our main. Right, thing. right. And I believe him. You know, I, I, if I heard that right after I came back from Vietnam or in the first 10 years, I would get angry. But do you think, what, do, you, do you think, Ken, that as a country that we made a big mistake by conflating Vietnamese nationalism with sort of international communism. Yeah, we, we, you know, Americans and, and humans in general, it's, it's like people cannot accept that Lee Harvey Oswald, this loser, this got a couple of lucky, lucky shots, shots off. Yeah. Oh, no, no. It's, you know, it was a huge, huge complicated conspiracy which is just doesn't does not make any sense but we always are looking for con for conspiracies right right for very much so that yeah. actually have and uh you know the the international communist thing how, how did that last how long did that last after viet after the north vietnamese uh won won their civil war two 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 months, two years, and they're fighting. They're fighting their next door neighbor who is communist. You know, it's not a uh, big. So much for the domino theory, right? Yeah. Uh, but you know, you, humans humans are screwed up. <laughs> you know, it's easy to look back now and see and see the mistakes that everybody made. Yeah. But. You know, humans are fallible. Uh, Ken, I mean, that's a that's like there's a lot to chew on there, quite frankly. And um, you know, I know for you and for so many of the the other guys I know, and, and to a lesser extent myself, I mean, it's all a lot to take in when you go to the Vietnam Memorial in Washington D.C. and yeah. you see all those names on the wall and to think about that. Uh, that's that's tough to deal with. One thing that that has come out of the Vietnam War, though, is a very strong friendship. Mm -hmm. I worry about, I worry about the Arvin veterans. Yeah. I, but uh, the, the, the communist veterans, and I think that that's probably not so they're not at each other's throats the veterans is any more than we were after our civil war 
I hope it's they get over it completely mm-hmm. because man, that's a that's a good country. You know, no matter it's not perfect, no place is, but I like Vietnam. You know, and the fact that okay, I can I do we have one more minute? Of course you can. Oh, okay. I don't know how much. Uh, I recently re uh, reread a book that I read when it first came out. I was in college in Taiwan, and I didn't like it. I resented it because I was so much still this gung ho paratrooper. You know, we're right, and the you know the enemies. And this book, this novel. Being a parent can be really challenging. Child and Family Resource Network focuses on connecting pregnant parents and those with kids under the age of five with free support services to help them on their parenting journey. Everyone deserves someone they can turn to for help with parenting. Visit childandfamilyresourcenetwork.org today. Being a parent can be really challenging. It's normal to feel uncertain about whether you're doing the right things to raise healthy and happy children. That's why Child and Family Resource Network focuses on connecting pregnant parents and those with kids under the age of five with free support services to help them build confidence in their parenting journey. Everyone deserves to have someone they can turn to for support with parenting. Visit childandfamilyresourcenetwork.org today. Shows the side of everybody in this complicated mess. And I resented that. And it's the book, the novel by Jonathan Rubin, an SF guy. Oh yeah, I have it right here. I haven't read it yet, but- uh... The the Barking Deer. It's, I I, I think it's the greatest book, the greatest novel, at least in English and probably in any language that's come out from that war. Really? And you see everybody's point of view and everybody's, the, the pressures that are on them and why they're doing this and why they're doing that. And, you know, the Jonathan Rubin, who wrote that book also after the, the military, after SF, he, he had an, I'm not going to say a whole lot about what he did, but he had a very interesting uh, career afterwards that was related. But he told me a story on the phone when I was reviewing his book. And he said he went back to Vietnam for the first time, and he's fluent in Vietnamese and French and Rade. Rade is one of the, the major uh, mountain yard nations and he was and even in sf very rare to have somebody who was fluent in all three and uh one of the main characters in the barking deer is the shaman this rade shaman and he said he went back to vietnam he took two copies of his novel and one of the, the first place he went to see the village where his A-team had been. Mm-hmm. He said, and there's the shaman, the old shaman still around and he remembered him. And he gave him a copy of the book and it's the first book he, he wasn't even sure what a book was, but he gave him the book and he put it into his box, 
in his, into his sack of sacred things. And then a few days later, he's in Hanoi and he's walking and he's talking to people as he's going along and goes, oh, that's where uh, General Jap lives. And he says, what? Oh, he lives there. He says, oh yeah, just go, go knock on the door. He loves to see Americans and to, to see American veterans, which has been known for ever since the war ended. You know, he was, oh, come on in. Let's talk to, let's figure out what exactly <laughs> would happen. Yeah, I mean, we haven't had too many enemies that are that. So Gracious, goes, yeah, after the yeah, fact. He goes we... and he knocks on the door and General Jop comes to the door in a, in a kind of uniform and uh, invites him in and they spend two hours drinking tea and talking over everything. And then he gives General Jop the copy of his book and General Jop goes and puts it right between a book by Marx it's in French, and then uh, 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 the Analects of Confucius, the Analects of Confucius in Chinese, and put it right in between the two of them. And, you know, what comes out of all this is, what's wrong with humanity, man? I yeah, mean, yeah. You know, it, it's like in that, uh, had he and I but met beside some quaint old country and we could have sat right down and wet right many old nipperkin but ranged like infantry and staring face to face i shot at him and him at me and killed him in his place that uh what's it hardy i think wrote that poem the man he killed you know the frame, the, the, that frame of reference of war that takes all these ostensibly normal people and places them into this conflict with yeah. one another that otherwise, you know, they, they wouldn't have had any grievances with one another. Well, you know, a, a friend of mine that I grew up with was in the Battle of Way, was a Marine. Mm -hmm. and years later, you know, back in, in Ann Arbor where I grew up and where he... And he's, I said, how do you feel about this? He said, man, he said, this, the Battle of Way, he said, we were in here and it was just the worst thing in the world. And nobody could understand it except for the guys that were trying to kill us and that we're trying to kill. And he said, we have more in common with each other right, than right, right. anybody else in the world. Right. And you know, one more thing I want to say about the Battle of Way. In uh, this year, in April, I don't remember the date right now, but it was early in April, I decided to look at it. In 1968, after the Battle of Way, there were just, there was a huge massacre. A lot of people, a lot of civilians got killed in the, just being in the middle of it, a city, but there was a lot of really vicious, murderous, uh, Einsatzgruppen sort of death uh, thing done to civilians in a way. And it was one company, apparently, that I've just recently found out uh, that did most of that. And that was their job. 
one average, NBA company. Yeah, the average NVA guy would never have been doing that stuff. Uh, you know, they might shoot civilians if there's a, Americans or, or Arvins on the other side. You know, between them, that that's war. But we got a mission in April, which is a few months after the, after the battle, uh, to go out and try to find a certain. Uh, bodies of people who had been taken out of way up the Perfume River and then somewhere in that area there was a bunch of little tributary rivers going into the Perfume Rivers and there's intelligence that that's where a lot of the people have gone so we were sent out to find them. To your, your, six, find. your six man work team. This was this was another heavy team okay. because we wanted a lot of guns. We wanted, mm. you know, so we had 12 guys because this was very much their, their place. And it wasn't that very far from, from way really or from Camp Eagle, but it was far enough. And I was uh, an RTO and I was slack man for uh, one of the guys on my team who was point man and we come around this 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 bamboo thick bamboo and bang it hits us in the face the smell and we go up and there's a huge uh open grave and there's bodies in there that have been in the in the rain and the snow the sun and all of this and one of them is parts of it just out of there and there you could see where a tiger or a leopard had gone in and got it and came out with it and eat it jesus eat it there and you know you couldn't there wasn't much flesh but it was like parchment the skin yeah. was on the bones and their civilian clothes and a lot of the hair blonde people blonde haired people and we're looking at this what the so this is what they sent us to to find and you know i'm the smallest guy and so you know they start saying hey miller here get, get you got a rope you know go down there and and, and count the bodies and yeah, I, I got another miller picture i'm gonna throw up here uh please <laughs> please continue okay and the guy, the helicopter, uh, uh, the pilot behind me, I went to uh, AIT and jump school with him. Oh, no shit. <laughs> and then he went, to, went and became a helicopter pilot. Uh, but, you know, so I'm sitting there and I've got, a, I've got a camera. We all had these little pin double E cameras. I said, we got a camera. We just take pictures and count the heads, mm -hmm. and, you know. I don't think they really were going to have me go down there, but you know, and uh, we stayed there and put up a nice 360 security and, and uh, waited while uh, Graves registration unit and, uh, and a infantry company from the 101st would come in. We had to wait for them to come there and, and, and we're looking at this and just, and when they got there, we we got on the same helicopters that they came in and went back. 
And that's the first time ever that we got information to send to intelligence where we actually were told what intelligence had found. And what they told us, and but I didn't get my, I didn't get the pictures back. That was my, they, but those are the pictures you can see in certain books now. Uh, what happened was Germany, West Germany at that time was trying to be a good citizen in the world. And they had medical teams uh, in Vietnam, I think in both places. The East, East Germany? West Germany. Interesting. Okay. West Germany had them in the South uh, ships, you know, hospital ships. And I mm -hmm. think they would mm -hmm. sometimes go out to the North too, but they were trying to just do good medicine stuff. And one of them was they were making a new, a new dental, uh, a new dental part of Way University Medical School. And the Germans brought off a few million dollars worth of the newest stuff. And they brought in a lot of, a lot of people, including uh, a couple. She was a hygienist and he was a dentist. And all of these people were making a modern dental clinic for Way University. And the Special Operations Company of the 6th Battalion or Brigade, I'm not sure, of the Pavan was the killing group. And they're the ones and they went in and got a lot of people and they got all of the people from Way University's uh, dentistry department and took them up the river one round, one round, one round, just to the back of the head, killed them all, left them there. These are not people that are taking sides in the war. These are people that are trying to help people with their teeth and, and their health. And that gave a certain moral clarity to me that I think was, it made it easier for me to hate all the guys on the other side. Yeah, yeah. But I don't know. But I do hate the guys that were in those units. It's just like you read about the the Nazis in Ukraine and you and so forth. Yeah, yeah. You That's didn't get into. Shit. Yeah, you get into the. You had to prove that you were a psychopath to just to get into those units. And, you know, but all that way went through, all that this beautiful city went through, come Christmas time, toward the end of 1968, Way University's uh, Imperial Palace traditional music orchestra put on a show for the 1st Arvin Division and the 101st. And the 1st Arvin Division, by the way, was good. You know, it's not one of these, oh, these are Marvin, the Arvin's no good. The 1st Arvin Division had their shit in order. 
and we all had to go. And none of the none of the none of the chiefs. Well, I don't want to listen to this goop music. God damn it, you know. You know, you're going. You're going. And we go there. And we knew some of the guys from the Heckbau Company from the First Ireland Division because that was their equivalent of us. And so we go in there, and there's all these GIs and all of these Arvins, and there's these weird instruments to us, wouldn't be to the Arvins, and they start that Christmas song, you know, uh, sleigh, sleigh ride. Sleigh bells ringing, yeah, yeah. They start that, and these music, and these instruments we've never seen. And everybody kind of, what? What? And then they, they go on and, man, all these guys are saying, I don't want to hear this music. And then at the end, everybody, wow. I will never get over that. And I will always love the city of Way. That they got bounced back and they did, and they invited us to that. It really moved me. And it seemed a lot of people were moved. Were these uh, instruments like um, like similar to like the gamelan in Indonesia? Like, do you, do you know what they were? They're, oh, yes. Uh, they're, they're Vietnamese versions. There's some of them, some of them are just Vietnamese, but most of them are East Asian music. I know this because my wife is a, is a musician uh, and plays the Gu Jan. I don't, I've forgotten what it's called in, in Vietnamese, but it's, it's the Chinese zither. Okay. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's, there's a couple different instruments that are, are very similar. Um, and yeah. I'm sorry, I can't remember the names in, either. In Japanese, it's called koto. In Chinese, it's gujan. I forgot. Where, where it's, it's laying like horizontal uh, and they, yeah. they pluck the strings. And it's yeah. kind of like this. And uh, that's where I fell in love with that kind of music. And a lot of us were just, hey, this is cool. This is cool music, you know. And some guys would just, hey, man, anybody got a joint? This is good music. I mean, you know, it was that kind of thing, you know. It's just, and uh, in my house, I get to hear that kind of music all the time. My <laughs> wife. The Vietnamese version of the, that is slightly different, but not much. Uh, you know, the, all of those string instruments in the world probably originally came from Persia. Yeah, yeah. But, you know. And your, uh, your wife is Taiwanese. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, right now, uh, Taiwanese are, are Chinese, but Chinese, but, you know, because <laughs> yeah. you know, it was terrible when Mao was there. And then there was a period of time where yeah, after Mao died, things were, I shouldn't be talking about this, but it, I don't care. Where, care, where relationships across the Strait of Taiwan, the Taiwan Strait were very good. And, you know, even now there's people who live in Shanghai and they fly every day to, uh, to work in Taipei or something, but, it was really going good uh, in the uh, early part of this of this century. Xi Jinping became president, and he'd gone to school in, I think, in Ohio or Idaho or something, 
you know, he'd gone to school in the United States and he's, you know, modern uh, politician can speak English and he was good, but now he's turning all of mainland China into just a really scary uh, artificial intelligence surveillance state. Yeah, a panopticon state. Yeah, and claiming, making claims to the whole China Sea. And, uh, you know, a lot of people that were proud to be ethnic Chinese are now, who didn't used to say, well, they'd say, well, I'm Chinese. Now they're saying, I'm Taiwanese. Right, right. And that's, that's really sad because the world needs a good China and a strong America. And, you know, and... Being a parent can be really challenging. Child and Family Resource Network focuses on connecting pregnant parents and those with kids under the age of five with free support services to help them on their parenting journey. Everyone deserves someone they can turn to for help with parenting. Visit childandfamilyresourcenetwork.org today. Being a parent can be really challenging. Child and Family Resource Network focuses on connecting pregnant parents and those with kids under the age of five with free support services to help them on their parenting journey. Everyone deserves someone they can turn to for help with parenting. Visit childandfamilyresourcenetwork.org today. China should have learned, and I hope that they've learned their lessons not to go picking our, trying to pick up on their neighbor to the south because they always get their asses kicked whenever they go after Vietnam. Vietnam always kicks their asses in the end. Ken, I wanna get get back to some of your own experiences for a moment. I wanted to ask you about Rikondo School, which I thought was very interesting um, because it was, um, well, I'll let you describe it, but what's interesting about it is that it took place inside Vietnam and the final mission was a a live combat mission. Yeah, yeah. and. you know, everything was in theater, just like everything that with the, with the Lerps and, and the first 75th Rangers were all in the theater, you know, just mm-hmm. traditional American Ranger stuff. Uh, we didn't have access to the Ranger School mm-hmm. and we wished we could have, but we couldn't get there. It was for lieutenants and then later for uh the uh the instant ncos that went to the nco school to become an an nco which were the idea of that was very resented by the troops in vietnam that Mm -hmm. some guy can come in and he's an e6 with a with a ranger tab and he's been in the army less time than you've been in vietnam but what the trouble is, the guys that did this when they came over, they were good dudes, and they were they had their shit in order, and you know, so we couldn't we couldn't hold it against them, you know. But it, we we resented the army for giving them this. We wanted to go to ranger school, and we couldn't. I offered to say, listen, can I use my my next extension, my my 30, 30 day uh, thing? Can I use that? No, I can't. Because they were had to turn, uh, you know, platoon leaders through the 
send them through the ranger school and so forth. Okay, I can see that. But there's still a kind of nasty feeling because World War II and a good number of the Korean War rangers were given the, uh, the tab for, for combat service. Yeah. service And the SF tab you can get for, for that. And, you know, we were brought up, bring things up at Ranger Rendezvous. And the last time I've been to Ranger Rendezvous was uh, 2011. And I'm not going to do another one because we're saying, okay, look, I understand now the way it works is Ranger School now to the Ranger units is what the, the Wakanda School was for us. You're going to be a, if right, you're going to right. be a, re, you have to go. a, a company, if you're going to be a, a leader, you go there. It's a leadership thing where you learn it. And Ricardo School was excellent and it was fun. And, you know, everybody I know that went to Ricardo School, uh, probably half of them ended up going on to, to SF as soon as they could. Because, boy, did, I mean, we were just, we, Look, without SF, the LERPs would have been completely fucked over. SF was always looking out for us. And they set up this wonderful school. And, you know, what can I say? Uh, you know, what, what, what did they train you guys on? Like, what did you, you do when you get there? And what, what does the course entail? Uh, it was similar to... Uh, we didn't get to do any jumps. We did a lot of uh, rappelling and, and uh, you know, getting in rigs and being pulled up and everything. We didn't do any, get, we all kept saying, hey, can we get a jump while we're here, you know? And I said, yeah, I wish we could, you, we could. but uh, it was a, a commando well, thing. It was a three, three week, uh, all day and most of the night, uh, Thing a lot of uh, a lot a lot of classroom work, uh, very heavy on on uh, on uh, na navigation, very heavy on that for good reason and communication, medical things. You know, I, we're drawing blood from each other and doing giving each other, you know, a serum. serum uh, Jesus, man. All the stuff I, I the words. Well, I in, in your in your uh, in your defense, Ken, it was like what sixty years ago now. <laughs> yeah, it was fifty something <laughs> years ago. But you know, uh, you know the the, the uh, serum albumin, serum albumin that we'd be Ooh. giving each other. Okay. Okay. This so that your your so that your organs don't go down with you with you bleeding too much from blood loss right yeah from blood loss and so we would be practicing that all the time but we practiced that in 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 the company area back in the in the unit too uh and sometimes they would be throwing dirt on you and hitting you just so that you can do it when you're when you're under stress but the there was nothing in the ricardo school that was bullshit nothing it was all and the good thing about it was we got to eat at the uh special forces uh, uh mess uh club or whatever it is the food was the best food i had in the army 
but and you know you'd have all of these all of these uh old old dudes you know i mean they might be 29 or something or e7 to 29 but you know we had there were still guys that were world war ii oss yeah. guys were still around and, and uh you know we're looking at these guys uh, you know wow man look at you we really admired the instructors, and the instructors who were pretty much our age, a little, they were older than me, you know, but, you know, in their mid-twenties on, on up. Uh, these guys were, these were guys we, oh, yeah, I'll go anywhere with these guys, man, they were cool, and they, they knew their shit, and they were just no nonsense, no bullshit, they just, uh, you know, Everybody, I think everybody that ever went to Ricondo school is really proud. So what happens is, you know, now in the Ranger thing, you're not completely a Ranger until you have your tab. Mm -hmm. We never had an opportunity to get the cat tab. But uh, could I get up for just a second? Yeah, Do go for it. Time? Yeah, yeah, no, no worries, Ken. Go for it. I. No, it's it's good a good break because I can give you the guys the obligatory call to action and ask all of you to like subscribe and you know mash that like button there, guys. Thank you. I, I know I hate doing it. I sound like a telephone guy. Um, but you know, please subscribe to the channel if you haven't already. Thanks. Oh, what's up, Ken? Okay, now look. So if we're walking around this and you know. Somebody in the in the bats now. Well, you guys are not, you know, not really. I mean, the, my experience is that the relation is oh, you know, we're 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 family, but it's bitter that we were not allowed. And at the last uh, Ranger rendezvous I was at, this is what the the uh, uh, business meeting was about. I said, look, everything we had, we would have ranger or we'd have our ranger scrolls or we'd have before that a lerp scrolls we had the recondo school thing here uh all of this everything we had that set us apart we had to take off as soon as you got off the plane coming back to Kona. yeah yeah and people were bitter about that and i don't blame them and also uh guys would sometimes you'd come back and uh you're on your class a's you get in your class a's and they said well you got to stay here till tomorrow all right and you know uh you're going to be uh on the on the line in, in the mess hall anyway you know an e5 in his class a's you know, i mean just just some just nasty shit but anyway so here can so yeah someone's asking if you can hold up your tab again so we can see oh, uh your scroll your ranger scroll okay here uh this is, lima company airborne ranger 75th infantry yeah and then here's a recondo tab little little higher please oh there you go so this is what we have this is brand new before that we had a, a, a lerp tab that completely you couldn't wear it you know but this is this is our way of saying <laughs> to, to yeah that. yeah 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 for not you know 
Well, um, you know, Ken, that was uh, before Rangers were like formally institutionalized. And I know you're gonna you're gonna um, come and try to strangle me uh, if I get on the Cretan <laughs> the Cretan Abrams thing in 1974 or whatever it was. But yeah. uh, before <laughs> Rangers were institutionalized, we disbanded Rangers after every single war. Well, sure. And you guys, you guys were that. You know, you had those things you made in in country. Your Rakondo tab, your Ranger scroll. And then after the war was over, they're like, hey, we don't need you anymore, go away. Yeah, uh, that's exactly, that, that's why I say that we were the, the LERPs and the original uh, 75th, Ra 75th Infantry Ranger, not 75th Ranger. We were the last uh, traditional American yeah. Rangers. And, uh, one of the but one of the things that makes us different is Vietnam veterans in general feel like we got shit on, yeah, yeah. on, okay, and rightfully I think we have that feel. You got to get over it, and most a lot of guys haven't gotten over it politically, particularly. But uh, we would we were aware that World War II Rangers and members of, of uh, Merrill's Marauders, as soon as the war is over, as soon as there was a ranger school, these guys all were, were given ranger tabs. And, uh, and uh, uh, you know, legally, I mean, and about half of the rangers that were in uh, the Korean War got the tab without going to the school. And Bob Gilbert, who was our, uh, he was at one point was our, our first sergeant. And it's an old three, three war, uh, three war ranger, you know, just tough old guy. He was, he may have been in charge of the ranger school when you went through, I don't know. No, it was, that was probably before your time. No, no, I went through in 2004, so I'm sure he was retired. Yeah, so yeah, it was, but, He's still around, and he's 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 a character, but he he was telling me the last time I was at Fort Benning, he said, you know, I can tell you all of the people that you know. He said there's a list from the between the Korean War and the Vietnam War, uh, just about any infantry officer that was a captain or above can go through a two-day uh, walkthrough of the ranger school and get the tab. No shit. I didn't know that. He said, he, he said, it, you, he said, he said, and they, you're not supposed to tell anybody about this because this is, this was something that, I think maybe, maybe it was uh, majors on, on up, but you know, he said, oh yeah. He said, and, officers. Yeah. He said, and it, he said, I understand the bitterness too, because you know he went through it and went through hell as a right after being in the 187th uh, in Korea. He comes back and goes to Ranger School. What was um what was your your test mission like? Your final uh, your mission in Rakondo School when you went out into the field? We uh, it was just a a normal uh, it was what we normally did, except that. We didn't 
know everybody in the team as well. We'd been in this three weeks together in the school mm -hmm. and so forth. There would be one advisor, as we called him, one of the, one of the SF guys that were on the cadre. And then uh, the rest of us would have to rotate. So everybody did every job and the mission. And uh, they, we get on the helicopter, we get on the, and we land in it. And these are areas that probably weren't as, weren't as scary as the Asha Valley and, and, and yeah. the wrong wrong and places like this where we were normally going. This was not too far from the tribe, but it was not a place where there was no enemy. They were there. <laughs> and uh, we landed and you know we did exactly just like what well, what we were used to. On uh, the team I was on, uh, there was another guy, my butt, the other guy from the 101st and I were on the same team. We were the only ones from the 101st there except for a new SF guy who had, and uh, they, so it was pretty much the same thing. We figured we were a little bit better than the guys who had been LERPs from the, from the leg units. Mm -hmm. And we were, but it's not their fault. You know, the guys who were with, if you were with the 101st, the 173rd, or the first calf, you, your, your division has got better uh, senior NCOs and so forth who've been through these schools and so forth. So everything is gonna be a little bit better. But uh, the guys that were made it that far through the school had their shit in order anyway. And we'd go out and then we'd be doing this. And we were in an area where there was a lot of bamboo, a lot of bamboo. And then there was some open area out here and then bamboo and bamboo is nasty stuff to have to go through and to try to be quiet and so forth. Uh, one of the things I remember is one of the times that I had to be uh, point, you know, we, we, everybody did every little job in the thing, every position. And I'm on point, point, I hit a rusty tree. That's what we would call, that's a tree that looks like it's rusty because it's covered with red ants, with red nice. ants. <laughs> and, I'm going like this, looking up, looking down, looking over here in my whole my whole area, and I go like this, and it suddenly I just <laughs> it's all over the place, <laughs> and, and uh, the SF uh, advisor, you know, old E seven, he has everybody just kind of get around me, and he's all right. Take it, fucking, just slap it, slap. Everybody slapped the motherfucker a few times. Don't make too much noise, you know. And, uh, you know, I still had to around, but, you know, and I mean, it was kind of funny. And then about three or four hours later, uh, we hear people moving uh, around the other side of, uh, of the bamboo coming this way. And along come, I, I 
don't know if they were NVA or local VC. Uh, they were in green, but dirty. And uh, they all had AKs. So I've probably, there weren't SKASs. And they came around and they saw us and we saw them, but we heard them coming first. And so we host them. No shit. So you had a contact on your test. Oh, yeah. We, and they got some rides, some, some rounds up on, on us, but didn't hit anybody. And uh, a couple of, at least a few of those guys got away. And we didn't go, you know, you don't chase, you know, you, you don't go chasing people who want you to chase them into an right, ambush. Baited into an ambush. You know, and uh, none of us were hit. Uh, but we, I, I killed one, a guy. So, I mean, there, there, there's just an advantage to that. I shouldn't be happy about having killed somebody, particularly he's just another soldier or something. But whenever I hear somebody say, well, you and here went to ranger school. We went to ranger school. How many people did you kill in ranger school? <laughs> so that's kind of nice. We can say. And also uh, now we can say, hey, no female soldiers have ever gone through the ranger, through the, through the Ricondo school. You know, now they're going through ranger school. They're going through SF. They're going through buds pretty soon. And it's a whole new world. Yeah, uh, which I don't think is a good idea. I uh, I'm a big fan of Tammy Duckworth, for example, and two military things I, I really do believe women are better at than men. And I, there have been some stat studies that say this. One is pistol shooting, women that have taken, and men that have taken the same uh, kind of training. The women are slightly better at it uh, if they can, if it's not something you know, too big for them. And helicopter, they, they make good helicopter uh, things. I believe that that's fine, but I was an anthropology major at Taiwan University and took some at University of Michigan too and so forth. And one thing I learned about humans and, and just about all mammals is that it ain't just the plumbing. You, every society has, this is a woman's role, that's a man's role. And it can be fluid, which one it is. An example would be, I don't remember the Hopi and the, and the Navajo. One of them, in one of these groups, the men did, the, did the, the pottery. And then the other one, the women did the pottery. Okay, it's, but that you have to have some sort of differentiation. And males need to get away from females. Females can get away from males. Uh, well, in theory, and uh, you look at elephants, you look at uh, not not the wolves, but you look at elephants, you look at bears, you look at uh, uh, orcas, 
You look at sperm whales, you look at all the, uh, I'm not sure about the crows, but all the other intelligent social mammals at least have got something where the males can get the hell away from the women and go off and do something. This is what humans would do. Women would do, you know, hunter, hunter and gatherer. The women would do the gathering, the men would do the hunting. This is a very standard thing. And there's still lots of people in the world who live this way. And it's true, my wife loves to, to shop. I don't, I wanna go get the stuff and get out. Yeah, 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 get me the hell out of here. I wanna go out and do things and I wanna do it with the guys, be away from it. And I think that it's, I think it's folly to think that you can integrate uh, tank crews and infantry platoons. I think it's un actually unnatural. And that doesn't mean that the women can't do it as well as the men, uh, or at least most of the stuff. That, but I just don't think that this is good. Like culturally. It's, it's yeah. pretending that we're something other than the animal that we are. Right, and you're, you're not allowed to say it now. Um, no, you're not. You know, it, it's not like politically correct to say it. And I think you're right. And I, I think I think women can actually do some of these jobs better than we can. I mean, there's certain okay. special forces roles um, where women can, you know, learn foreign languages and communicate with people and do things way better than guys can. Um, but at the same time, I think there's a movement out there that people want the military to be this reflection of progressive liberal values and it's really the one thing that combat cannot be. Combat soldiers can never be a representation of that progressive society they want um, because combat is primitive and it's ugly and it's nasty. I think that uh, my feeling about it is to a great extent that the military was being punished by having done the right thing and done it very successfully when it came to when it came to racial uh, when it getting rid of segregation. Well, it was desegregated yeah yeah desegregation it worked with the military much earlier and much better than it did any other part of American uh, society now, the army desegregated before America did yeah oh much more much more before and uh, it, so consequently uh, all of these people who don't know anything about the military have been using the military as a social, uh, a, a social uh, experiment, uh, experimental clinic thing or something. And uh, that's, that's just not right. I, I think there's just also a very big difference I, I, I noticed between a lot of the, you know, we, we would call them legs, Ken, people who, and I have nothing against them, but they served in the Air Force. They worked in essentially yeah. a corporate job. It was like a corporate environment. They came into an those office. Pogues. And yeah, they, yeah, they can be a good infantryman, but they, 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 yeah, yeah, they're pogues. They, they worked in a sort of quasi corporate environment, except they wore a uniform. And I know that sounds offensive to some people, but I think there's just a, a huge cultural difference between those people who did that job and they're American patriots and we need them and God bless them. Yeah. And guys like Ken, 
who are out there in combat and what you're experiencing. It's just the necessities and the priorities are just so different between those two. They're, they're, they're radically different worlds. And I think that male, males should have certain protective instincts for women, for females. Uh, if we don't, okay, you're going to have a whole bunch of, uh, of rapists out there. Yeah, yeah, there'll be, that there's going to be problems. And again, it's nasty to say that, and we, none of us like it, but we can see the, the military has a huge sexual assault problem. Yeah, I mean, I mean, it's backed up by the data. Like, it is a problem. It's a huge problem, and the military is not handling it very well. Yeah, I, well, they they didn't do a lot of thinking before they did gender uh, integration. Uh, yeah, and, and and I don't blame the women for that. That's not their I don't fault. Either. No, no, it, I don't it's, blame it's, them. It's 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 the army <laughs> and the way their policies are. Uh, I years ago when. Gary Linder and a whole bunch of us had this magazine uh, here, Behind the Behind Lines. Behind the Lines, yeah. Do you remember? Did you ever see yeah, that? Yeah, yeah, I remember it. Okay, well, when we did Behind the Lines, one of the things I had to, had to do was uh, to review a book about gays in the military. And I'm reading this and I'm thinking, okay, you know, this was not something that was expected or accepted in my day. And, you know, you don't want to be found to be a gay guy in, in the military at all in, in my generation. Yeah, yeah, back in the But I'm that. reading this and there's lots of stories about people who, are, who were gay, who didn't even hide it but suddenly they, they use it against them to get them out of the way. Yeah, we're doing yeah. their job well. And I'm reading this book and I think, Jesus, these people are getting fucked over. But who really got screwed over were women. Because, hey, baby, come on over here. I got something for you. You know, I said, no, thanks. Yeah, yeah, dyke. I mean, that kind of thing would be, was happening a lot. And, uh, what hit me was very interesting was the Navy and the Air Force were just, you know, this was happening all over the place yeah. in those two things. And the guy said, hey, baby, come on, you know. And she said, no, I, no you're not my kind. I, I don't want, you know, yeah, yeah, lesbian. And then next thing he's saying, you know, she's a lesbian. And next thing you know, this patriotic girl is working herself very hard for her country is kicked out with a bad uh, yeah you know yeah. it's outrageous but in the army and the marine corps what would happen would be somebody some guy tries to do that to a girl and he's likely to have a boot up his ass saying who the hell do you think you are who you not no you you, you say she's a lesbian, you're just jealous. Get the hell out of here. You know, you know, I mean, the, the, the Marine Corps and the Army handled that far better uh, because, you, you know, I don't know why, but it, it, 
they handled it far better than 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 the army and or than the air force and the navy did. I, in fact, I still have that book somewhere here that I had to do the review of. Uh, yeah, no, it, it's definitely interesting. Um, but Ken, I wanted to ask you also um, about you know you, your extensions in, in in theater that you went over to Nam. What was it? A two year tour? It was a one year. It was a one year tour, and then you extended three times. Yeah, and uh, that'd be twice for six months, and then once for three months. Okay. And, uh, for six months, you could get a three or a thirty uh, day, uh, a thirty day vacation. What's what's the army term for? Oh, when they sent you on uh, on like mid mid tour leave. Yeah, and, and a leave, so you'd get a thirty day leave, and. Uh, I, the second time I had one, I'm talking to, I'm talking to my first sergeant. I said, "Listen, can I get at least half of the Ranger School? I'll do it on my own leave time." And they said, "Yeah, I wish you could, but you can't." You know, so that, that that's a part of the thing. But the, uh, you know, going back, all if it's a three month. Uh, extension, you get an extra R and R and a and a and a leave, uh, the same for a week or something. That, you know, and you can go to one of the R and R places, which is probably better than going back to the states at that time. Uh, but going back to the states, one of the times I went back was in 1968, and the Democratic Convention. And they have all these, you know, it's, it, it was a riot outside. And, you know, I'm on the side of, I'm on the side of the, the National Guard guys at first against, against the protesters. But then I see on TV, here's some National guy standing there. There's some woman in her car who's got her window down and she looks like my mother or something. And here's some National Guard guy with an M79 right up against her cheek like this. Holy shit. And I'm thinking, oh, I, let me go back. Get, get me out. Yeah, of yeah. Get me the hell out of here. Yeah. And uh, my family had moved my senior year in high school. They moved to, uh, to Reno. So my father became the president of the university and before that he'd been at the university of michigan so i grew up in ann arbor which is quite a liberal town and uh i went back on one of my 30-day leaves extension leaves i went back to ann arbor and that, that's the experience mopar had in your novel yeah get me out of here! I want to go back, <laughs> and I did. I got. I, I can remember going back uh, at early, and you know, I said, "Hey, man, don't you have another seven days?" <laughs> I'm here. I'm here. I want to. I just. I didn't. I didn't want to ever leave. I mean, this is. I was quite with the idea that you know sooner or later it's going to catch up with me. But man, this is my life. 
and then uh, you couldn't after you couldn't get another extension. And there was one thing you could get an extension for. And the only thing, uh, a guy named Ray Zojak from our company, and he was quite a soldier. He and I both wanted to extend again and they wouldn't let us. And then we found out, well, if you go to, if you uh, go talk to so-and-so and so-and-so, and uh, you, everything goes right. Yeah, we got a place for you in SOG. And, you know, all right. Well, yeah, yeah. And so Bob Gilbert, this, who I've mentioned a couple of other times, he's, you know, <laughs> Bob Gilbert gets us. There were three of us, and one of them died last week, or last, last month, last year senility uh, but the three of us wanted to extend again and we couldn't and we found out that you know yeah you can, you can see and what happens is if you don't make it you know if if sog doesn't want you you know if then you know the army will give you wherever the fuck they want to send you and we went in and talked to bob gilbert and Bob Gilbert said, look, I was in SF for three years in Germany. And I don't like it. So what do you like? What do you don't like about it? He said, I don't like the hat. <laughs> you know, all this sort of stuff. He said, look, you guys don't know what's being done. I know what your what your missions will be. When you're gonna get to you're gonna get to a, a launch site and everybody there already knows each other they've been to the schools with each other their family lives next door to your family in, in, in Fayetteville or something he said and you guys are going to get in there and they'll be glad to see you and they'll like you but there's going to be there are missions that is being sent to CMC that you don't want to go to, and they're going to send, if they got to send some Americans, they'll send you better rather than somebody that they've known for years. And I said, what is it? He said, well, for what I can tell you is sometimes they just taking people out of the, out of the prisons and the jails of Saigon and may, and putting them on a, on a team to send in. You want to go John, with them? John Mullins told us that story in a previous interview we did about how they were running double agents. Yeah. And, you know, basically what, and it wasn't till years later and I'm out of the, been out of this military and I'm reading a book about, uh, called uh, Sideshow about, about the bombing of, of the bombing of Cambodia and Laos. And I'm reading this and here's the stuff I read. These SF guys, these, they're being sent on, on bomb damage assessment mm-hmm. case because they're using the, the B-52s and trying to knock out all of the NVA stuff in 
Cambodia and Laos. And, you know, those plagues are dug way down and they've got concrete, you know, the size of, a, of an elephant's ass. Uh, and, you know, and they have teams that are getting shot off, shot up right on, right on the, yeah. he said, and when I get one of those, it might break their hearts, but they'll send you rather than the guy that they've known for 10 years. Right, right. And I, that's what it was all about, what Bob, dear, Bob. Uh, Gilbert? Gilbert. Gilbert. Bob Deering, Deering was the third guy that, that he, he's telling this, but I'm reading that book and I'm reading stories about that. And you, the, the um, two Harvard uh, brothers that were down in the bottom, bottom of the White House finding the- The Dulles brothers? Not the Dulles, no, the Dulles brothers was a generation, the, uh, I'll remember it. Yeah, I know, I'm sorry, I, I, I don't know. Two, two Harvard professors, but they were down working for, working for LBJ and then for Nixon, uh, finding, the, finding the targets for these B-52 strikes that the Air Force even didn't know about. And, uh, you know, finally some, some officer said, fuck you, we're not going on this issue. Fuck you, we're not going. And next thing you know, they're gonna get him. They're gonna toss this guy into prison forever. He's an SF officer. And uh, what happened was some other officers and a couple of generals had the guys kidnapped, sent to Okinawa, and they gave him an entirely, di entirely different uh, identity for a while. <laughs> what? So that they couldn't, because they, the- That's crazy. The, these, these Harvard dudes in the basement of the White House wanted to get this guy. And they, you know, they saved him because it was bullshit. I mean, they're just sending teams that they're just, just sacrificing, die, yeah. you know, it's may as well walk up the, walk up the uh, pyramid at uh, Tlachnam or something, you know. So Ken, you eventually, you rose to the level of being a recon team leader. Yeah. And I mean, you kind of got to do it all on, on the work team. Yeah. And th but then, I mean, it's one of those things where like the merry-go-round comes to an end. Like you were having a hell of a good time in Vietnam, yeah. but like what happened that eventually you had to go home and what, what was that like? Well, uh, I was torn. Uh, there were two things that guys senior than me, senior than me had been doing one which was go to SF and just you know I didn't want to go go through a whole bunch of stuff at Fort Bragg I just wanted to be you know with mountain yards or, or, or a recon team or something but okay I'll do that you know and I probably and then the guys that had been in SF that were in our unit or that we knew the SF guys that nearby you know they're seeing Hey, you know, they're not going to send you back here. They're going to send you to Germany or something. I'm thinking, fuck. And then the other one was uh, become a RI. And 
uh, what they will do is they send you and you're running guys through your PT and all this sort of shit. And so you have a kind of a, a shitty kind of E5 job and then for a few months and then you go to the school and you get out and you, and you be, become an RI. And the, boy, man, these guys that had been doing that, you know, just some of these guys, Milton Lockett and some of these dudes, man, they're, they're saying it, it sounded like the best thing in the whole world to be a, an RI, man. You know, said, because you got all this free time and you and then you're doing it when you're really doing it. And so I'm really thinking about this. And then my sister sends me a letter. And this is, I got that letter two days before I left Vietnam. So it came just in time. Because uh, I was still could have come back. Uh, my mother had had a, uh, some kind of a... Uh, aneurysm? Not an aneurysm, but a, a, stroke. a, a stress, stress stroke for me continuing to, to uh, be a lerp. Yeah, to be a lerp. And, to, you know, I should have been home then and I'm going, well, I'm, yeah, I'm home, but I'm going back and, you know, all this. And they didn't tell me about this. And my sister told me that she'd been in the hospital at, at Stanford. And so I thought, Okay. And, you know, th there were a lot of, also, there were a lot of girls that I knew back in Michigan and in Nevada and uh, everywhere that, you know, that I wanted to, I wanted to uh, kind of get together with them, you know, a little bit too. And, you know, I mean, going on R&R &R is pretty nice, but it's not, uh, but that, I, I just felt like this was my this was my life. This is what I'm going to do. And uh, they didn't let me <laughs> do it all the way. And I was planning to go back to Vietnam this last spring, and. Uh, these little nasty little things called viruses got in the way of everything. Yeah. But do you realize that I'm a, I'm a uh, member of chapter 78 uh, SFA that, uh, you know, just, uh, uh, I can't remember the word now, right now, but it's an A on my. my uh, the, the Special Forces Association. Yeah, yeah. So my number is an A, which is, means that I'm not, you know, SF, but I'm one of the. One oh, of the you're members. like an honorary member or yeah, an associate an member. Yeah, an associate member, associate member. That's it. And I'm a life associate member, which is rare. And we, uh, our chapter built a. Uh, built a uh, obstacle course for the for one of the ROTC units at oh, really? schools here. And uh, when it opened, 
we went down there as old, as old guys, and here's all these ROTC kids, you know, and uh, that, that was cool. And watching them go go through their stuff, and we're trying to do it, and, you know, realizing that we're not as young as we. <laughs> and I'm talking to one kid. His last name was Pham, P-H-A-M. And uh, I said, "Oh, you Vietnamese?" He said, "Yeah." I said, I said um, "Where's your family from?" I said, oh, uh, "Saigon." I said, oh, "You know, the, People from Saigon still call it Saigon, but uh, I said, oh, I said, do, you, do you speak of Vietnamese? He said, uh, I do now. Uh, he said, I do now a lot better. He said, uh, my parents were just going crazy because I was forgetting all my Vietnamese all the way from, from first grade up. I'm just English, English, English. And that's, it was really getting to them. And then I went to Vietnam. And I, my, it all, everything I forgot came back and I learned a whole lot more. And I said, but they said, and they forgave me. I said, forgave you for what? For going back. And I said, well, what did you go back for? He said, well, that was last year, or the year before last. This year, I'm going back again. I said, what? He said, an ROTC scholarship. I, what? He said, yeah, we have an exchange program with the People's, the, the People's Army of Vietnam's ROTC, whatever their ROTC thing is. He said, you know, yeah, that's, and so my parents are all fine with it. They said they've gone back since, since I went just to see, you know, family members and so forth. They wouldn't have otherwise, but they were ready to, they were ready to, disown me <laughs> well, that's i mean wow I mean, you know, I mean, this times is, times change yeah i mean yeah times have changed this guy from uh there's one special uh unit that i i won't mention well i just did i guess uh one special unit but uh they do regular uh things from from Fort Lewis over to uh, over to Vietnam to do things so, and I, a lot of anti-terrorist stuff that they're working mm -hmm. on and uh, one of these guys came to one of our chapter meetings because his family lives down here just and uh, so all the old Vietnam vets just said wow man you know what it was like and he said oh let me tell you he said said it's a he said we get there and we said, we get to meet the other, the guys. And he said, and they can all know, they all have some, because everybody has to learn English, at least some of it now in Vietnam. He said, so, you know, we meet the guys. And then the next day we go out and he said, and there's all these old people around, these old guys around there just shaking, shaking their head and scratching their head. They said, I can't believe it. And they, wow, you know. And he said, who's that? He said, what is, I guess, you know, uh, well, that guy's, uh, he's my uncle over there, and this is over there. They're XV, yeah, old NBA NBA guys. guys. Yeah. They're just delighted to see American Green Berets over there working with them. I mean, you know, this is, again, you realize, and see, you know, humans, humans and chimpanzees are the dumbest apes there are. <laughs> what do we do as, uh, with this 
were. I, I, speaking of which, what was it like for you when you came home after the war trying to, it started your academic career going back to college. I mean, what, what was that like in that, in that time frame? Uh, I didn't like it. I didn't like students. I didn't like academia, even though, you know, I started going to the University of Nevada when I came back and they had the anti-war moratorium thing in October. And I was taking classes there and here's all this anti-war anti people and they, you know, and you know, they're bad mouthing us. Like, you know, hey, are you gonna be another Nazi over there? You know, and you know, that's, and I wanted to kill him. I'm, I'm, my father's the president of the university. I wish, I wish I had an, M, an M16 and a, a whole bunch of regular. I mean, I wanted to just hose him down. I just they infuriated me. And, uh, you know, because there's a baby, baby killer sort of shit being thrown at. These creeps. I mean, they're not doing it to me necessarily because I'm in civilian clothes. But yeah, you're gonna be a baby's killer, you know? Oh no, you, you know, all, all these people, these guys. And then I'd hear all these students, hey, you're going to the, you're going to the, uh, the, uh, the, the thing tonight, you know, we're having a, a light, you know, lighting candles and do this. Oh, so there's gonna be lots of women there, lots of, there's gonna be lots of pussy there, lots of, lots of weed. I think, this is what the war, this is what this war is to you. <laughs> this is, you know, I mean, this, it took yeah, me a yeah, while, it, it took me a long time. It, and if I can just share one of my own experiences that maybe you'll be able to relate to a bit. Um, when I was, I think maybe it was just after I got out of, so I got out of the army, I went to college, did four years, and it was right about that time I think I was graduating college. I went to the, um, it was like a book release party. So uh, a journalist named uh, Jeremy Scahill was um, putting out this book with uh, Glenn Greenwald. Um, it was the big like data dump, all these documents had leaked. It was like our generation's version of the Pentagon Papers. All these documents had come out. And they uh, did this book release and I went there with all these hippies, all these peace creeps in this big room and they had a, a projector screen playing footage of uh, drone footage, like the black and white drone footage from Afghanistan. And like, you know, they're dropping bombs, blowing things up. And they had this like, kind of like fat guy with a beard come out and he was like, okay, you know, here's a rap I made about drones. And like, he starts rapping about drones up on the stage. And it's just a, the most surreal thing I'd ever seen in my life that here's real military footage of this, uh, of drones dropping bombs and ostensibly killing people in Afghanistan or Iraq with this like hippie rapping about drones in front of like 500 other hippies. Like it was just the weirdest goddamn thing I had ever seen. And I was like, is this the war I fought in? Is this, is this what it means to you? Like what, what in the hell is going on here? Was he an anti-peace guy or was he a drone guy? They're all, they were all very much anti-war and yeah, yeah. They're all very much against the war, um, which I, I understand on one hand, I get it. You know, I, I understand the argument against it, but that it's sort of like commercialized into this sort of like, we're going to do a rap, a rap song about drones with the real footage of the drones behind you. Like it, it was all very, very odd to me. 
there was a at the University of Nevada when I came back. There were two guys. One was a, an SF guy who was, and I think he was in Saigon the whole time. And the other one was a was a Marine who had been in the Battle of Way, and mm -hmm. I could be friends with him, and it was impossible because they had switched over to be we're all everybody in Vietnam that in the military is a, a murderous scumbag and I was too and all of this and you know I'm sorry I don't want to be a turncoat like that and they were getting all these all these peace peace creep girls were so they, they would go to all of these these rap things where everybody would sit not I don't, not like rappers rap but where you're just talking yeah rap it, sessions and they all snap sessions, their fingers yeah yeah, and, yeah. oh and they're, but you know oh and they'd be talking about all of this and these guys would go go in and they would make up stories of atrocities that they did in vietnam and then they would start crying and oh and, and then all these girls would come oh it's okay it's okay okay and this is the only way and I'm thinking, is this the only way you guys can get laid? No, I mean, like, and it didn't want to. It goes like, on to this day, Mr. Yeah, Miller. To this I'm day, just, it's still happening. But war is nasty. Yeah. And you got, and, but uh, there's a lot of people. I, I get freaked out by people, by wannabes too, and by people who, well, you know, I would have gone, but. Oh uh, yeah, in fact, oh yeah. <laughs> uh, I'll send it to you later in e email, but read uh, Henry V, Shakespeare's Henry V. And also in Henry IV, I forgot if it was part one or two, but this guy saying, oh, and you know, it was, I too would have been a soldier if not for those, those vile guns that make it possible for somebody beneath me to kill somebody as good as me. And, you know, and then, and then, oh, well, they're, they're carrying a body past me. <laughs> and he's sniffing and, and, and here's this guy that's is this one of the, this, officer and he's saying i want to kill it he wants to kill the fuck i'll find it for you and send it that part to you email it yeah me. please but i you know i'm not sure that shakespeare was shakespeare i, I sort of think that the earl of oxford was yeah 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 because, because whoever wrote that stuff was highly educated yeah and also saw a little bit of con of contact you know mm -hmm. and knew the law and all this but uh, I'll send. I'll send it to you. I don't want to have to go through it all. Yeah, yeah. No, whenever you get but the chance. It's a. Uh, it, war is for these people that I well I would have, but you know such and such, and, and I've forgotten who there have been a few, uh, a few, politicians that said, oh yeah, well I would have I would have uh, gone in the to Vietnam, but. Uh, my IQ was too high. They wouldn't let me. My <laughs> IQ was, and, you know, I mean, this is some senator. I remember. I don't, don't remember who it was. Was it was saying this kind of stuff? Oh, what kind of people? And I get freaked out 
uh, I went to uh, Gary Linder lives in lives in uh, uh, not Jansen. What is it in Missouri? That the the place that uh, Homer uh, that Homer on uh, <laughs> Springfield Springfield not Springfield. It's the inner entertainment place in Missouri. Oh my gosh. I, I, I'm sorry. I don't know. You, you know, the one I'm talking about, it's the one that Homer Simpson said, Oh, that's, that, that's Mark. That's a, uh, that's uh where uh, the, the Christian people go to instead of uh, Las Vegas or something. I, I forgot. Oh, what. I know. I, I don't know. Branson, 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 Branson. Branson. Okay. Okay. So I went to this thing that, Gary and some other people to put together in Branson and it's good seeing all these veterans around and everything but then they have all of these smiling uh smiling people with you know their flags on their on their jackets and all this sort of stuff but that have never never spent a moment in their their side on the sidelines you know yes yes you guys are right you know uh, but they don't mean it uh, you know, th th there's certain kinds of. Do, do, do you know the? Yeah, yeah. There's these pussies out there like John yeah. Bolton that talk about yeah, wanting yeah, to start exactly, war exactly. all over the John fucking Bolton. world. But like when it when someone asked him about why he didn't serve in Vietnam, and he was like, "Oh well, you know, there are better things I could do than die in a rice paddy somewhere." Well, Cheney, when when he was a uh, Secretary of Defense, uh, somebody asked him what what why he didn't serve in Vietnam. He said, I had other things to do with my life. I sure did. Yeah. Uh, thank you for your service. Yeah, thank you for your service. Welcome home, brother. Assholes. Yeah, you ain't my brother, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That, that stuff bothers me a lot. Uh, and, you know. Ken, I, I think we've been going for like over two hours at this point, oh, and I, I think we could, me and you could go like another three hours and like it, yeah, would, it would be like blinking an eye. Um, I, I want to ask you to stay for the little bonus segment afterwards for like 10, 15 minutes. But before yeah. we wrap this up here, um, any final thoughts that you want people to know about the works, about the Vietnam War, anything that you want to say to folks out there who listen to this? It was unnecessary, unwise, but I think that the people on our side, the people on the other side, the people on our side, meaning the Americans, the Australians, the, the South Koreans, the, the, the Thais, the Filipinos that were uh, New Zealand mm -hmm. and the Arvins and the mountain yards that were on our side and you know and the people who were in the Pavin who the NVA and the people the local the local guerrillas we all thought we were doing the right thing not everybody did but each side thought that they were doing the right thing the moral thing, the correct thing. And all of us had some reason to, there was some truth for it for all of us. 
but it was a big, stupid, foolish thing that shows that humans, we might be very smart, but we're not very wise. And at the same time, it's something that as foolish and unwise as the war was, it's something that really stuck with you and defined your life in so many ways, I think, Ken, that, you know, you wrote, you wrote this novel, you wrote Tiger, the Work Dog, you wrote a nonfiction book called Six Silent Men about it. And this is something that has come, it, it, it did define your, your, not just your young life, but it came to define, you know, who you became as a man later in life. I often think how different my life would be if, if I had taken advantage to not go in the military and just go on to college and do all this and go you know, to the rap sessions with the hippies. Go to the rap sessions and, you know, uh, <laughs> and uh, I would be a much better, uh, I would have been able to, I would have had more money that I could spend on my family. But right, we right. managed to manage, uh, you know, we managed to get our kids through college and good schools and uh, and we are doing well enough now that we spent a lot of money on good, good uh, charities, mainly animal charities. And, but, I, you know, I was supposed to be another professor or something. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I just, it, Oh, I did what I wanted to do and what, let me tell you, I was born, I was conceived in Austin, Texas, and I was born in Ann Arbor, Michigan. So I was, you know, college towns. Uh, in Washtenaw County, Michigan, where Ann Arbor is, they have in the in the courtroom, they have a list of all the people from Washtenaw County who died in various wars. You look at the ones from, from the Vietnam War, and I knew almost every single one of the guys, and there wow. weren't very many from Ann Arbor who died in Washtenaw County. But you look at the smaller towns, Celine, Dexter, Chelsea. Man, they've got more people are than people from my age range that I would have known coming up in Ann Arbor. They had more people from these little towns than Ann Arbor had from my generation of people who died in the war. And it was unfair. You know, the rural kids, working class kids, minority yep. kids. And nobody will ever tell me that, that it was fair and that it was, there was any equality to it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There wasn't. Uh, I knew one other professor's kid. And I knew in what well, people I knew in when I was in the army and people I've known veterans I've known since. 
I know one other professor's kid. I know doctor's kids. Most of them were army doctors, their fathers. Uh, how many people, there was something, how many people in, in the House and Senate lost a kid in the Vietnam War? I think it was one during the time of the Vietnam War. Reminds uh, me of our, our uh, a current politician of ours who got three deferments for his bone spurs. Yeah. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I, I can look at myself in the mirror and I know that if I met Tammy Duckworth and there's nobody else around and we could just sit down and talk or something, that she would talk to me. Yeah, yeah, no, she's she's for real. She's a real. She's deal. for real, and uh, <laughs> what's his name? I won't say it. What's his name? Can't say that, and neither can his his Spence or any of these others. Uh, it bothers me a lot to see my fellow veterans, their politics sometimes really freaks me out. And I, I can't hold it against them, but I was like that for 10 years after the war. And there's a good reason for us to feel that we got stabbed in the back and all of this sort of stuff. Mm -hmm. But this country would be a lot better if the Vietnam veterans had outgrown that and had not let it just fester. And I'm talking about people that I love. Yeah. Mm -hmm. No, no, that that really strikes home with me, Ken. Um, well, the the what I see in your generation and also in my own generation of guys who are carrying around a lot of anger from the war, and yeah. and that that manifests in, in how they view American politics. We have an advantage over the over your over your generation. You guys will never ever be able to sit down and have a cup of coffee, or certainly not a beer with the guys that you had to fight against. You know, you, how many ISIS guys and so forth? Yeah, yeah. Ain't no way. Yeah, and I, I, will I, will, I will never respect them the way that you came to respect the Vietnamese. And, the, and they respected us. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's the same thing. I mean, World, War, World War II, you know, the enemies we were against were purely evil enemies, but not purely evil soldiers. Mm -hmm. And they were just doing what we were just doing, just like the North Vietnamese guys were. And, you know, and so how long did it take? Very, very soon. You know, I mean, as soon as, as, soon as you sh stop shooting each other, you're buddies, or you can be. And 
goes to show the folly of war. But so we have something else to do right now, right? Uh, yeah, I, well, I just want to read a couple comments here real quick before we go on to that. Um, uh, Alejandro says, thank you, Mr. Miller, for your books that we grew up reading and for your service, for being an inspiration to generations of rangers, an example and standard that we aspire to be, sua sponta. <laughs> One of us. And uh, he also asked a question down here. What are your thoughts on core level worse C being disbanded a few years ago? So I guess he's asking about the current worse units in, in the army being disbanded. I think it's probably a mistake. Uh, I, you know, you definitely need that. And, and it was working well. I mean, I, I remember the first Gulf War go to Fort Campbell and talking to the guys from 101st, the, the, the Lurse guys. And, you know, they were sitting there and saying, man, you know, we're dug in on, on this hill and just so many people going by and they're just pretty much and it, it reached the point where I'm thinking, God, I hope these guys get out of here before they surrender because I don't know how to deal with them. Uh, you know, I mean, it was it was good, but what happened was somebody in the went, so, "Oh, your surveillance. You know, you don't need you don't need to have uh, to have a a machine gun or something. You know, you just you know, or that's reconnaissance. You don't you don't you don't need this. People that have never done it don't know it. You know." Say you have a reconnaissance unit that's just re supposedly, in theory, just reconnaissance. Uh, I can speak from experience. You know, I, my was I was an LRRP LERP and an LRP LERP, and there's a difference in them. There's a ranger. It's not a big difference at all. But when we had two R's in there, we were still doing raids. We were still doing ambushes. We were still doing all of the kind of stuff we were still taking, doing point for our, for our infantry company. You know, we we're doing all, all of this stuff. And, you know, don't say eh, a reconnaissance. Well, that's just, you know, that's just reconnaissance. You're just going sneaking around. And, and of course, that they may think be they can what, replace you with a drone these days, too. Yeah. And they can't. A drone can't it, it can't stay, it can't stay in the air all day and all night well what i what i remember thinking when drums first came out was they can't look at the bottom of a of a bridge they can look to the bottom of the beneath the bridge but they can't they probably can now can they just turn up and but maybe I mean, from an angle yeah but They just don't know. Uh, you, there's no. Re yeah, we have we haven't yet been able to replace the notion of having you know a leader's recon or or, or a human reconnaissance team on the ground. And if we ever do that, I hope that you know it's just machines fighting machines and not letting anybody yeah, get yeah. hurt by it. Um, 
so I think that's that's it. We'll go. We'll do the bonus segment in one second, Ken. Um, I just want to say, Ken, thank you so much for spending like two and a half hours with us tonight. And uh, special thanks also to your son for helping fix all yeah, this he up and make it happen. He, you know, he's awesome. Yeah, he's a good guy. <laughs> and um, and thank you to everyone who came here and watched the show tonight. Everyone who will watch it, you know, in the future. Um, please subscribe to the channel if you haven't already. Um, I will. You, you like us, you can uh, leave some comments below. Tell us, you know, do you think we're doing good? Do you think we're doing bad? Let us know. Uh, and there's also a link down in the description for our Patreon page if you guys want to support the site or support the I'd, channel I'd like financially. To, yeah, I, I don't know how to do all of this it's, stuff. Ken, you don't have to do any of that. I'm, I'm talking to the listeners. Well, you're, I want to do it. But I I'll, 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 whatever you want, I'll just give it to you. Just, just ask me. Okay. Uh, and... Um, and I, yeah, I guess that's kind of that's kind of it. Um, I would like to apologize for my senility and forgetting words no, and no, groping, no, for, groping no, for words. And, no, no need to apologize, Ken. You know. It's really an honor to have you here, and you're you're one of our OGs. Uh, you're you're one of the guys yeah. we go to for knowledge, and you know I, I really appreciate it and really respect you. Um, so I mean, it, it's a privilege for me to be able to interview you and to have you here on the show. Huh? I, I have to say, speaking for my generation of Lerps and Rangers, it's amazing, amazing to see what grow grew out of us. Yep. When you look at what the, I mean, they have now the range the Ranger Regiment has got its own, uh, it's got everything now. Everything. <laughs> it's 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 got its own MI battalion. Uh, MI yeah. battalion. And there's nobody that's better at that job in the whole world than, than the 75th Rangers. And it's, and it's because of you guys, you know, we stood on your shoulders. Well, yeah, but you know, no, it is. You guys had, yeah, but the, although there is something to that because a lot of the guys s s did stay in up into the, yeah. Yeah. I mean, Bob Gilbert is still around being being his old rough old self. Maybe maybe I have to twist your arm and see if I can interview Bob at some point. Um, but uh, so guys, next week, next Friday, uh, our guest on the show is going to be Ed Kugler, who served as a Marine Scout sniper in Vietnam. Um, and uh, I have maybe to sort of familiar. Maybe you mentioned he, it before. He, he wrote two books. Um, I think one one is about his time in Vietnam and one is about PTSD and kind of recovering from, uh, oh, yeah. from what he went through in the war. So we'll have him on next week. Um, and I, I have to, this coming week, I have to read his book so that I know what the hell yeah. I'm talking and, and about. If you get Gary Linder on sometime. And I would love to get if you had, Gary on. Have you had Tilt up, John Singleton? I, I, have, I have Tilt scheduled for, hold on, I'll tell you guys right now, September 25th. John okay. Mayer will be on the show. I, um, I keep wanting to say John Singleton Mosby. <laughs> so I just call him Tilt. Tilt. <laughs> uh, By the way, okay, uh, guys. John, John Mosby is a fascinating character. We'll, we'll have to have that conversation. Yeah. Um, so, But I, I, I'm sorry to cut you off, but we're, we're going to stop yeah. the episode now. And we'll go into the bonus segment. Um, hope to see all of the rest of you guys there. And uh, one way or the other, I'll see you next week. So okay. thank you. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? 
a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.